The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very warm welcome to this Thursday edition of Scorebox with Karen Cho, with Jeff Cutmore and myself, Steve Sedgwick. We've got some headlines for you. The Dow loses 500 points in a broad U.S. sell-off led by big tech as the Fed chair Jerome Powell says, wait for it, more fiscal support is needed. What a surprise. Whilst other central bankers say the U.S. economy remains in a deep hole. Asian equities join the declines with the Hang Seng and the Shenzhen Composite taking the heaviest losses whilst European markets look set to open in the red. Tesla takes the trade war into its own hands, uh, suing the U.S. government and trade representative Robert Lighthizer over the tariffs on Tesla imports from China. And we're going to get some uh, news from the Chancellor today. The U.K. Chancellor of the Exchequer, Richie Sunak, scraps his autumn budget to focus on more support measures for British workers set to be outlined in Parliament today. Two police officers are shocked as protests turn violent in Louisville amid demonstrations across the United States at a jury's decision to clear three police officers over the killing of black medical worker Breonna Taylor. Take a look at the U.S. markets. Let's get the first board up as well. Look, sometimes I can be really smug about something very smart if I got it right. And if I got it wrong, I just won't tell you. And I'll wait for my colleagues to remind me that I actually do get quite a lot wrong as well. But but, but what on earth did you all expect the Fed chair to have said that was any different from what was said over the last 24 hours, over the last 48 hours, and what he's going to say today? Yes, we've got a third part of testimony to that. I don't know what any of you would have expected other than, yes, the economy has lost a hell of a lot of jobs and faces a real uphill task until uh, we can uh, overcome the problems of COVID-19. What did you expect Jerome Powell to say other than, yes, we need fiscal support? Come on, tell me now. Shout at the telly and I'll hear you. No, exactly. Not one of you expected anything else. And yet, and yet the moves on the market were exaggerated. And Katie, our wonderful producer on the show this morning, has done this chart for me. So let me just show you the Dow daily change. There you go. So what did you do? You rallied 400 points and then you sold off, what, 1,200 from the high to the low. Then we rallied extraordinarily again, the best part of 400 points. And then we came off again aggressively into the close. I am going to suggest that nothing that the Federal Reserve Chair or Clarida or Mester or any of the others who were speaking in the last 24 hours, nothing they said was a surprise to you. I'm just saying that because I can't believe you were blindsided by any of their comments. Good morning, Karen. Good morning. I don't think it was down entirely to the Fed. And we've seen from but the start... But that's what the headlines are telling I you, know, so I exactly. want to dispel that straight away. <laughs> I agree. If we think about the start of September, it began with a tech route. Mm. And even though we saw some of the gains come back into that sector, the volatility was still underlying these markets. And I'll show you those US tech names you can see yesterday, all under pressure. And the one that really jumps out to me to illustrate the story of volatility is Amazon. I mean, a day early, we saw the stock spike about 6 percent 
on a broker upgrade, uh, pointing to its dominant market position, that it should do well from here, given that positioning in the grocery market and all of the acquisitions. But the stock then giving back a lot of territory yesterday. I mean, what changes in 24 hours where the market thinks the stock is worth one thing and then not the next? It's just volatility in the market. I mean, Apple stock, there's been a ton of Apple news of later on updates with devices, 4.2% South Netflix stock reversing, again, poised at the forefront of any COVID trends with more restrictions, lockdowns, concerns around a second wave, any of those elements across various jurisdictions in the world that Netflix serves, it would be a beneficiary with the streaming services. But the stock down heavily, and you can see Alphabet also falling. I think Facebook and Alphabet, slightly different category as investors have concerns around the second wave and what that means for consumption and advertising spending. And advertising spending is quite crucial for a couple of those platforms. US futures, this is how we're setting up for the trading session. You can see we are looking a little bit weaker again, suggesting Wall Street may not be done with some of the red ink this morning. Jeff, let's uh, take a look at uh, the rest of the market's bonds, I gather, investors also looking at. Yeah, no, let's have a look at these yields because I think it's fascinating how the other side of the story is reacting at this point, Karen, as we're getting this volatility uh, around the equity market story. And stuck in my head is this big call that uh, Jeremy Siegel made back in May, Professor Jeremy Siegel from the Wharton School, who called the end of what he said was a 40-year bond bull market. And at that point, we sat with the 10-year Treasury yield uh, pretty much where it is at the moment. And the problem is this 10-year yield is anchored here and the Fed seems to be doing a reasonable job of continuing to talk the market into the belief that it will uh, continue to sit on these yields and not take action on rates until we get uh, really strong signs of inflation here. So ultimately, we don't feel like we're going anywhere, even though the Fed hasn't explicitly said it's involved in yield curve control at this stage. Perhaps one of the key beneficiaries, though, from the volatility that we're seeing is the dollar. And it does appear as though uh, people who are taking money out of the equity market trade at the moment are just putting it into dollars, uh, maybe money market funds, as they look for a safe haven, I guess. And clearly, they maybe don't fancy the bond market too much at this point. So as you look at how the dollar has behaved uh, across a lot of other currencies, uh, you can see some strength coming back into the greenback, which of course raises all sorts of difficulties for those who are invested in EM markets or markets like gold and other commodities that are incredibly sensitive to the, uh, the movement in the dollar at the moment, Karen. Oh, yeah, I'm just going to say about gold, Jeff. It's very interesting. What a, what a safe haven. It's pr- no, it's not proving a safe haven, which <laughs> says to me, <laughs> you knew we were going to go there, which says to me that it's just another asset class. I'm sorry, everybody. You thought it was going to defend you on days like yesterday, didn't it? But when you've got central banks which are defending their currencies around the world, dare I say, and having to sell down some of their gold holdings, and we'll talk about that with Turkey in mind a little bit later on as well, not much of a safe haven when you're desperately trying to shore up your position as well. Uh, gold on the month today, and Karen's absolutely right pointed out, it's a, a incredibly volatile September as ever with the Nasdaq now in correction territory. Gold month to date, you might be interested in those down 5.6%. But we have seen this in the past. When money comes out of markets, it does come out of gold. Bingo. Investors take profits where they can. Technology is the same story. You might like it for the long term. Uh, there's so many fund managers saying gold has to have a position in your portfolio now. And the same thing with technology. Yet it doesn't protect you on a day like we saw yesterday. I just point out too, over the quarter, it's not been a bad quarter on Wall Street. You're still holding on to gains. I mean, clearly September 
September has been a, a horrid month for the longs, but the quarter has been okay. There are actually still positive numbers to the tune of three, four, five odd percent, depending on which index you look at. Different story in Europe. For the quarter and the month, it's been almost a complete write-off for most of the major markets. The exception has been the German stock market, where there are still slim gains for the quarter. So I think if we talk about the dispersion and what investors are doing, how they're, they're pulling their money from certain jurisdictions, putting in others, they're very much chasing a very select part of the market. This was something you were keen to point out a couple of months back, but I think it's been very evident if you take a look at the quarterly figures across the board. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Is this your one, Amir? Yeah, I want to push on to this because we're talking about the, the data as it hit yesterday, uh, particularly in Europe, but also this continued in the United States. Business activity in the US hit a two-month low in September, falling to 54.4 according to the latest PMI reading. The survey was weighed down by services, which fell to 54.6 as Congress continued discussions over the fiscal stimulus stalemate. The manufacturing reading hit a 20-month high with new orders growing for the second straight month. Fed Jerome Powell called for further fiscal stimulus as he appeared before lawmakers for a second day of testimony. Powell said the recovery would go quicker with support from Congress, but acknowledged that much would depend on how the virus is managed. A full recovery is likely to come only when people are confident that it is safe to re-engage in a broad range of activities. The path forward will depend on keeping the virus under control and on policy actions taken at all levels of government. Uh, other central bankers echoed his call for more fiscal help, as we say. Uh, Boston Fed President Eric Rosengren describing it as, quote, a big problem. Richard Clarida, Loretta Mester also urged further action, warning the U.S. economy is in a, quote, deep hole. Uh, Greg Swenson is founding partner at Brig McAdam and joins us now. Hello, Greg. Nice to see you today, sir. Um, did you have any surprise at anything that any central banker uh, has told you over the last 48 hours? No, not at all. I mean, I, I think that, you know, the chairman's very good at, at speaking calmly, but not really saying anything. So no surprises at all. And, and of course, he asked for more stimulus. He's been doing that since the beginning of the crisis. And uh, and I don't think that it's necessary at this point, and the fact that the, the government's distracted, I think, is actually better because it, if it keeps them from spending, you know, the two or three trillion dollars, that's that's probably unnecessary. I think that's a good thing. Um, that's interesting, Greg, because a lot of people would say it is necessary. It's necessary immediately. There are tens of millions of Americans who are desperate for more spending. The U.S. has been promised ever since I can remember, uh, I don't know, back a, a Virginia speech in 2016, has been promised infrastructure spending, which I haven't seen a penny of that spend at a federal level to those kind of levels. So some would say the spending is needed now more than ever. You disagree with that? Yeah, I, I do, because there's been so much money thrown at it already. And the, the economy is actually having a, a, a fantastic recovery so far. And there's OK, there's more work to do, but I don't think stimulus necessarily fixes that. I think we have to get people back to work, obviously. But, you know, the, the, the job market has recovered, you know, 10 million jobs in the last three or four months. You've got uh, some of the indicators are looking good. I mean, demand and output has strengthened. Um, you know, uh, we, we, we just discussed in your last segment that purchasing manager managers index has been hanging steady you know in the in the in the low to mid 50s 
for a few months now. And, and there's, a, and I expect also, you know, a bullwhip effect with, um, with companies restocking inventory. So, you know, there are some good indicators uh, that, the, that the economy is recovering in, in a somewhat of a V-shaped fashion. I think there's still a lot of pessimism, but, but a lot of, basically all the economic numbers and a significant number of, of corporates have outperformed expectations lately. So I don't think throwing any more government money, especially with all the Fed stimulus that's in place already, I don't think that's going to fix things. And, you know, historically, these big infrastructure projects don't work in terms of being shovel ready and, and putting people to work. You have to let the private sector do it. And uh, the more, you know, the money you take out of the out of the private sector, um, you know, for government spending is just, you know, it's a dollar out of the private sector. So uh, I don't necessarily think that's that's important at this time. In May, of course, it was April and May. It was it wasn't necessarily stimulus. It was relief. And relief was definitely necessary at that time because people were suffering. The best way to, to stimulate and get is get people back to work, not throw money at Greg, let's talk about November because I feel the market is uh, showing us a lot of volatility in the countdown to the U.S. election as anticipated. You know, many concerned about what happens if Trump is re-elected. Will he double down with the even more hardline policy on key issues? If Biden is elected, could we be facing uh, tax hikes? Another third layer on top, if Trump loses the election, could we see a fight over this transition of power? What do you make of those elements and how investors are, are responding to the uncertainty? Yeah, well, I mean, the key word is uncertainty, which you just said, I, you know, we don't really know what's going to happen. I can almost assure that that there will not be a decision on Election Day because of mail-in voting. So you've got some of the states states that are accepting ballots um, from three to, to seven or eight days after November 3rd. So uncertainty is the key here. I, I know markets don't like it. And I think that we ex we have to expect that there will be some some real concerns about the mail-in voting unless there's a, you know, a landslide in one direction or the other, which is, is doubtful at this point. We all know it's going to be a close election. Um, yes, if Biden wins, you can expect a massive, you know, probably a record tax hike. Um, you know, I don't think that's good for markets. I surely don't think it's good for the real economy. If the president wins and and re and we return to the policies of the first three and a half, four years of his administration, I think you can expect more job growth, more wage growth. We had absolute record wage growth in 2019. And you've already seen wage growth in, in you know, post-COVID, uh, post-recovery. So, look, I, you know, I think the markets will do better with a Trump victory, but I think you, you bring up a good point. There's a lot of uncertainty, and I don't think we should expect a verdict on the election on November 3rd. Which is interesting, Greg, because your focus then is buy stocks, but buy stocks carefully. And uh, yes. I note that you're looking very closely at food security infrastructure. Can you tell us a little bit more about what value you're uncovering in that space and where you'd have our audience look? Yeah, thank you. Good, good you know, great question. We we saw a return to real assets, or at least a focus on real assets after the the pandemic. So food security has become an important issue, and and we're seeing that around the world. We're, we we see massive investment in not only agriculture and food processing, but also the logistics around food security. So, um, for example, ports shipping, anything that, that, that facilitates the delivery of food. Durable crops are important. You know, we saw some supply, supply chain disruption in the spring 
during the crisis. And it just sort of re-emphasized the importance of food security, energy security. So we're seeing investment, you know, in, especially in emerging and frontier markets. But, but even in OECD markets, we're seeing massive infrastructure, critical infrastructure investment. Again, food security, critical minerals, of course, and, and energy security and distribution as well. Uh, Greg, can I just check? Are you the same Greg Swenson who's a overseas, uh, Republicans overseas spokesperson? Yes. Yes. I, I didn't have that disclosure at the top as well, so it kind of just frames a couple of your answers, if I may say. Are you pleased of with course, the president's yeah. infrastructure spending over the last four years? He promised it in Virginia with... speech in 2016, sir. Yeah, well, look, I think, you know, he's he's delivered on most of his campaign promises, not all. I, I think, you know, relative to past presidents, he's delivered considerable accomplishments in terms of his campaign promises. Um, did he hit Did he hit the infrastructure spending? No, I'm not sure that's necessarily a good thing. Um, you know, I think conservatives in general don't like to see massive government spending projects. If, um, if the president's able to accomplish some infrastructure spending, again, it's better than income transfers, generally speaking. But I think that, um, you know, he, he could accomplish that in his second term. Obviously, there's not, you know, not much time in, in the first term to get that done. So, look, I think he, he's delivered on many of his promises. Um, tax reform and deregulation, obviously, were the, were the real stimulants to the economy and job growth and wage growth. So, so far, so good. We expect that to continue if he wins in, on, on November 3rd. Greg, we like a bit of full disclosure. Thank you very much indeed for that. Greg sure. Swenson, Thanks, founding Steve. partner at Brig McAdam. Mr. Cutmore, let me hand it over to you. Yeah, let's have a quick look at uh, some more of the market levels. The indication is that we're actually going to get quite a weak start to the European trading session from the early calls here. Just a couple of points. I was listening to, to you talking about the market off the top, Steve. Didn't get a chance to weigh in there, but I just wanted to um, throw in a, a couple of points. I mean, the technicals, um, my friends in the technicals area are getting very excited about the loss of momentum, uh, particularly the fact that both the NASDAQ and the S&P have closed now down between uh, recent moving averages. Uh, so that's just something to throw into the mix here. But as you say that, there's always two sides to a market. I noted our friend uh, at Longview, Chris Watling, uh, making the point that he felt that the pullback is perhaps an opportunity for a tactical overweight because he thinks there is a, a market rally brewing, but you wouldn't see it really as you look at these uh, opening calls for Europe right now. And you're not really seeing it in the Asian session, which looks quite weak at the moment. Let's get out to Matt Taylor, who's got more on that story for us. Matt. Jeff, you're absolutely right. A weak session pretty much as far as the eye can see with some of those tech-exposed markets really bearing the brunt of the selling today, as you'd expect the likes of Taiwan and South Korea. You can see the TIEX down by about 2.4%. We've got the South Korean market down by about 2.5%. Of course, the NASDAQ of 3% across the rest of the region, uh, about 2% declines for some of the other major markets, 1.5%, 2% declines. Japan down by about 1%. The greater China market's just back from the lunch break as well. You can see Shanghai down by about 1.6%. So we are seeing a worsening in that position after the lunch break. The Hang Seng down by about 1.9%. I mentioned those tech-heavy markets. Let's give you a look at some of the big tech names today right around the region. And we are seeing a fair bit of red right across this sector. SoftBank down 4.4%. It is uh, one of the worst performers when it comes to that 
tech bunch today. Back to you guys in London now. Oh, Matt, lovely to uh, hear from you. Thank you very much indeed for that. Right, coming up on this show, loads actually, including Tesla takes aim at the Trump administration filing a lawsuit over tariffs on Chinese goods. And there's something else that's very exciting. Yeah, plenty more on the tech-led sell-off in the United States on the markets and calls for more from Fed officials for more stimulus. You can check out that on the Squawk Box podcast. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. Morning, everybody. Welcome back. Well, just when you thought there couldn't be another angle on the TikTok deal, Salesforce CEO Mark Benioff uh, weighs into the story. Slightly different angle, though. Uh, Mark Benioff praising Oracle in this deal uh, to buy into TikTok uh, alongside Walmart. Uh, Speaking to CNBC, uh, Benioff said uh, Oracle boss Larry Ellison has set an example for companies who may be concerned about making investments during the pandemic. You should never sell Larry Ellison short. Everyone in the world knows that. So look, I don't understand everything that's going on, but wow, I'm, I'm so impressed by seeing you know, them and everyone else make these aggressive moves because I'm mostly worried about the companies that aren't making aggressive moves. Larry Ellison is the master of relevance. Uh, Mark Benioff there, the CEO of Salesforce. Well, TikTok has uh, lined up uh, litigation. Uh, the company has asked a U.S. judge to halt planned Trump administration bans on downloads of the video streaming service. The company said the move violates free speech and due process laws and may cause it, quote, irreparable harm. U.S. officials have delayed the implementation of the ban until later this month. And if you want more on this story, head to CNBC.com. We've got more online and coverage, of course, from our tech correspondent, Arjun. Let's push on to Tesla, which is suing the U.S. government and trade representative Robert Lighthizer over the Trump administration tariffs on goods the carmaker imports from China. The company has asked for the levies to be removed from a range of items, including raw materials and electronic components, calling them arbitrary. Volvo, Ford and Mercedes-Benz have also filed similar complaints. What jumps out about this? I mean, clearly we've heard a lot of stories about American business being supportive of some of the, the Trump policies about bringing jobs home and some of the, the extra moves to sort of resuscitate industry. But this is just the opposite of that, an argument from an international player that effectively these trade tariffs are driving up the cost of doing business in the filing yesterday. It also said that this wasn't not just the arbitrary line, but this was also abuse of discretion. So taking a shot at some of the executive powers being used here. Tesla doubling down 
down on what it's calling for, not just the cancellation of these tariffs, but also a refund with interest of duties <laughs> already paid. So that's uh, significant of a court. It's wonderful the blurry, isn't it? Uh, dare I say, the administration perhaps asking for a cut of any deal with China on right. TikTok at one stage. This one now, they want interest because of the tariffs as well. The blurring between business and politics. Look, I, I don't have much to say on, on whether he's got a case or not. That's way above my pay grade. What I will say is you're going to get more volatility on a stock, which is trading at the kind of valuations it's trading as now. I mean, it's like being on a mountain plateau. If you're 20 foot away from the edge of that mountain plateau, you're kind of okay, even though you're pretty high up, if there's a howling, volatile wind, so to speak. But if you're on the edge of that mountain plateau and just teetering, that howling wind can send you one way or the other. And that's kind of how I see the share price of Tesla at the moment. It is elevated. There is no doubt about it. So any nuance, whether it be political, whether it be on those production figures with people talking about, whether it be on the battery technology, it's going to send you one way or other very, very aggressively as well. I will remind people the next 12 months PE on this stock is 150 times, which is very modest compared to the previous 12 months, which is 346, Jeff. Yeah, and the problem is, I think yesterday we had that uh, battery event uh, and there was just a big sigh, I think, from the investment community who got very excited about this idea of a million mile battery and the fact that the price was going to drop significantly, given that the price of a battery actually makes up quite a significant component of the overall cost of an electric vehicle. Um, I, w I was interested in the comments of one uh, Bernstein analyst who said, quote, uh, the uh, Elon Musk announcement was long on vision and short on deliverables. And I think that's the problem that it kind of encapsulates where we are at the moment, it seems to me, on technology for a lot of investors, because we've got two interesting news items this morning that are going to weigh on investor sentiment. One is obviously Tesla and these 3,400 other US companies that are suing the government over these trade tariffs. And the other bit of information that we haven't really gone into yet, but I'm sure it's in the program, is the fact that the DOJ has come up with another way of attacking the internet companies, hoping to repeal this legislation that gives them protection over third-party content they carry on their sites. And we've been just watching this story unfold for a very long time here. It'll be interesting, I think, to see whether the market believes that finally the uh, DOJ may have got some traction here on making these uh, fan companies, uh, the, the Googles, the Facebooks, the others, take responsibility for anything that's on their site, which potentially opens up a field day for the lawyers yet again as they look at ways of maybe suing many of these companies for any material that is uh, perceived to be litigious or egregious in any sense. So there's a lot for uh, investors to think about this morning, guys. I think we, we're actually having a conversation talking about the negatives in tech. Is that what we're doing? That's not the conversation the market has had for so many months. And I think that's been the issue, the one-way trade you've seen in some of these stocks. Tesla, for instance, yesterday, as you talk about deliverables, Jeff, effectively what you saw, there was a, a big problem with the network. It had a, a, an outage, which meant that if you didn't have a physical key to a Tesla car, you got locked out of your car. I mean, that took us back to the old days where some of the handles were falling off Tesla cars and they had to reconfigure the production line so it wasn't just all automated. So I think we are seeing some of the negatives in the conversation and certainly battery day this week for, for Tesla was uh, described by some of the analysts as a fantasy. Oh, come on, guys, we've been carping here. At least they don't roll their cars downhill for the uh, promotional <laughs> days. You know what I'm talking about, viewers. 
Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.